Hey everybody, this is Brett. And I'm Christian. And you're listening to the Gilded Films Podcast. Runners, Raiders, and Reds, it's 1981. Everybody and welcome to Gilda Films Podcast, which picture was best edition? It is a very special happy birthday to me, Christian edition. Everybody clap. All right, thank you. As always, yes, it is I, Christian. It's my birthday as we're recording this, and along with me is Brett. Hello. Hello. And with us once more is the illustrious, talented, beautiful, tall, dark drink of water, Zay. <laughs> I'm actually quite pale, but I'm here. <laughs> Everything else was pretty accurate, I think. Drink of water. Anyway, take it off, Brett. Take it off, Brett. Take it off. Oh, <laughs> I, think, I think Christian meant take it away, but it's his birthday. Uh, Brett, you, know you gotta. <laughs> you know what? All right. Jeez. Uh... Oh, no. wow. <laughs> <laughs> yes we're talking about the year 1981 the oscars the 54th academy awards and oscars to remember or maybe not Ugh. um yeah so some things about this oscars of this year johnny carson fourth time in a row hosting the oscars kind of a historic oscar host now best picture and now we know a surprise win to chariots of fire <gasps> we'll get into that Best Director went to Warren Beatty for Reds, which was expected to win Best Picture. Best Actress went to Katherine Hepburn for On Golden Pond. And for the same film, Henry Fonda finally won Best Actor. Best Supporting Actress went to Maureen Stapleton for Reds. And Best Supporting Actor went to John Gilgood? Gilgood? I'm not sure. Gilgood. Gilgood? Okay, for Arthur. Uh, the most wins went to Chariots of Fire, our Best Picture winner, and Steven Spielberg's Raiders of the Lost Ark with four each. And the most nominations went to Reds. Christian, I know you have some fun facts here and some stuff that you watched today about the Oscars. Anything to add? Um, just what I have written here, though, like Barbara Stanwyck. Stanwyck. Oh my gosh, you can tell it's my birthday. Barbara Stanwyck is presented with an honorary Oscar. I also, uh, Danny Kay had the the Irving Thalberg Award. I didn't write that down, but I briefly saw that. Um, this is the first year that the best makeup was introduced. We'll talk about that in our follow-up episode, the year. Um, the last year until 2005 where all five Best Picture nominees had a Best Director nomination, which is very interesting. Yeah, that's wild. And the most recent, and I know this is a morbid fact, the most recent ceremony where all the actor winners are dead. All right. <laughs> I think I like the fun fact last time they were all American. <laughs> like, I mean, well, three of the four were over 70 as it was. So, yeah, this is true. Right. They yeah. had nothing but time. Nothing but time. And we'll get to talk about all of them because um, three of them came from Best Picture nominees, and the fourth we'll talk about in our year in review. And so those will all come up. 
But for now, our Best Picture nominees from this year were Atlantic City on Golden Pond, Raiders of the Lost Ark, Reds, and Chariots of Fire. So without further ado, we're going to jump right in with our first film, Atlantic City, uh, which was directed by Louis Maul, um, the French director. And it stars Burt Lancaster as an aging former um, gangster kind of crime man, small town gangster in, once again, of course, Atlantic City. Um, he's kind of, you know, he doesn't see much purpose to his life since he's not really doing what he used to do anymore, um, running drugs and all that stuff. But he does do some small time gambling bits, um, still keeping on the illegal side of things there. But he lives across from Sally, who is played by Susan Sarandon, and let's just say has a strong attraction to her. And from a certain circum circumstances involving her, um, her estranged husband, they come to meet each other. And they get involved in this plot where her husband was selling drugs and um, Burt Lancaster's character was involved in that. And so they kind of get up involved in the scheme where people are out trying to find the drugs and kill whoever has them. And they have to eventually run off together. And an interesting romance kind of comes out because of that. So uh, Burt Lancaster's really good in this role. I know a lot of folks thought that he might win an Oscar for this. Um, and Susan Sarandon was also nominated, also really good here. But definitely probably not one of the most memorable Best Picture nominees from this year. Um, but I did find kind of an undeniable, likable quality to it. I like the characters. I found the romance a little interesting. But um, a lot of it was pretty enjoyable and, you know, not one that I'm probably ever going to watch again. But it was a decent watch this time around. And so what are your thoughts? Um, so this is the only one of the five that I had actually never seen before. So, which is a rare sentence for me to say in one of these episodes. Mm -hmm. So I thought literally Atlantic City, this is going to be about the Great Depression and the founding of Atlantic City. If anybody knows anything about that, there's like a lot of casinos there. So I thought, oh, prohibition era, the depression, illegal gambling, yada, yada, yada. But instead it's like modern day, late seventies, early eighties. It's a fine movie. Uh, like you said, Brad, I don't think I'd ever watch it again. I'm very surprised at how many awards Burt Lancaster got, I guess. I don't know. Other than Henry Fonda, who that is, we'll get to that. That feels like a different sort of win. But Burt Lancaster was in the lead for a lot of these things. And I wonder, too, if it's because of his old age. Because he's not doing anything in this that I couldn't see, like anything anybody else doing. Um, Sarandon's fine. She's she's Sarandon, I guess, blaming other people for her loss. <clears throat> That's a totally different podcast. But yeah, um, it's fine. I don't remember it as much, and that's saying a lot, I guess. I found the movie to be the most middle of the road out of all the nominees. I had never even heard of it when I looked up like the nominees for this year. And so I had absolutely no idea what it was going in because that's how I like to do things. Um, and overall, I was just like, I get what it's going for and I get like the humor it's trying to go for and I can like recognize it. But the whole time I was like, I don't think this movie is funny. I don't think it's all that remarkable. And I do, I did enjoy Burt Lancaster. I thought like 
overall he's a good actor and the fact that he was still getting like pretty decent roles at this age and i kind of felt like him and kate reed were carrying the film every time kate reed came on i was like oh this is good she is doing the most and i love it susan sarandon as much as i love her acting she's kind of just like there I, i never felt like she was like given a whole lot to do except being like sexy which she does pretty well but other than that i'm like all right she puts lemons on her arms very well (laughs) it's a good talent to have yeah i agree though kate reed every scene with her is just like the best of the movie especially the scenes between her and hollis mclaren when they kind of have their little i don't know weird friendship going on that's actually I wouldn't say it's hilarious or anything like that, but it's where the humor does kind of work for me. It's kind of interesting. And so I agree. Like I would, I would prefer a movie, like just watching them, those two together all day and just seeing the conversations they have. Like I think I that would agree. be a fun movie. Cause I didn't, I didn't get much chemistry out of Sarandon and Lancaster when they were. No. I mean, it's, it's like, Oh, young woman, old man the veteran teaching the newcomer, but also let's make it sexy because they can sleep together. Yeah. Listen, old Burt Lancaster still has some sex appeal in there, (laughs) but I just, it doesn't work for me. Yeah. I wonder if it was part of, because like, like Burt Lancaster is very much into it, but I don't think Susan Sarandon ever is like, even though she does like sleep with him and, you know, they do have this kind of romance going on. I don't think she ever buys into it like Burt mm-hmm. Lancaster's character does. And so, but yeah, um, it has some gangster stuff thrown in there, a little bit of like soft action thrown in, which is kind of interesting. But yeah, I mean, I agree, Zake. Middle of the road, like I don't really have strong opinions about the movie, really. I mean, it's not one that I really enjoyed. It's not one that I really disliked. It's just kind of... It's there. It's there, yeah. Oh, I'm just going to say, it's like all the other awards leading up to it, like BAFTA, um, some critic awards, Golden Globes, they were like all, you know, hunky-dory about it too, especially with Lancaster. Because I looked and I'm pretty sure he and possibly Sarandon won like the Kansas City critics. Mm. Which, I mean, that's our weird thing here in Kansas. But and then the movie was nominated for a lot of foreign awards because the Golden Globes are weird like that. Yeah, I just found it weird that all the other well, like the nominees include like On Golden Pond and Reds, which are just like the dramatic like and Chariots of Fire, I guess those dramatic like that's what the Oscars want, you know. And then Raiders of the Lost Ark, like the big blockbuster. But then you have Atlantic City, yeah. which doesn't make sense in either like the oscar bait sort of thing or like handing it off to the popular film of the year it's just there and it doesn't make sense to me i like i'd like to see like some press around at the time to see like what people were saying about this film because i really don't understand this appeal and how it got to be best picture known and director right i feel it was more a critical thing it probably got more like critical praise than anything yeah which is interesting I still find it interesting, like you said, Chris, that Burt Lancaster was so highly in the running for Best Actor here over Fonda because they're both, like, up there at age. You know, how much time do we have left? But Lancaster had won one before. And Mm -hmm. so you would think that would be automatic, like, oh, let's go with Fonda. 
because I mean Fonda was better anyway. But it's interesting. The devil works hard, but Jane Fonda works harder. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, so Atlantic City, it was nominated for five Oscars, did not win any. Um, it was nominated for Best Picture, Best Director for Louis Maul, um, Actor for Lancaster, Actress for Sarandon, and Original Screenplay. And it pulled in about $12.7 million at the box office, which for at the time, a movie like this, I think is pretty good. Um, it's one of 43 films to be nominated for all five Big Key Academy Awards. And yeah, like we said, you know, if not for Jane Fonda's aggressive campaign for her father, um, it's believed that Burt Lancaster might have won an Oscar for this. So really interesting. Yeah. Any further thoughts on Atlantic City before we move on to our next one? Truly wish I did. <laughs> awesome. I'm, well, I would literally never think about this movie after this podcast. True. I can just finally say I watched it to complete the year. So. Yeah. That's, yeah, that's one day I'll go through Susan Sarandon's filmography and I'll be like, oh, I found that I already finished that one. Don't have to go back. <laughs> exactly. All right, Zay, would you like to take us away on our next movie? Of course I would. The Loon. And you know where we're going? We're going on Golden Pond. Look, Norman, the loons, the loons are welcoming us back. <laughs> oh, a green car. When directed by Mark Rydell, it is a movie about Ethel and Norman Thayer, who uh, summer at this massive lake called On Golden Pond. It's called Golden Pond, not On Golden Pond. Um, they summer there every year, and it's it's a pretty no plot movie. It's they stay there. Um, they get in touch with their, it's, uh, Norman's 80th birthday and they invite their daughter to come see them for his birthday. And they're a very strange relationship with their daughter because, um, Norman and her always fought. Um, Norman played by, of course, Henry Fonda, the daughter played by real life daughter, Jane Fonda, and Ethel played by the great Catherine Hepburn. Um, so yeah, basically, and then the daughter comes and she brings her new fiance, they're engaged at the time, I think, whatever, um, and his son, and basically they're like, yeah, we're going to go to Europe now. You want to take care of the kid? Um, and so basically, uh, Norman develops a relationship with a 13 year old boy it's really touching, very sweet. And then the daughter comes back and they have a bit of a fight and then a come together just like they did in real life because that was like the first time Jane Fonda and Henry Fonda like spoke for the longest time because of the Vietnam War. And Jane Fonda's infamous deal with that. Um, and yeah, it's a very sweet movie based on a play that I read for this podcast. Um, yeah, it's just, it's a movie that takes me back. It's a personal movie for me uh, that I first watched in high school. I do not remember why my, uh, was it? I think it was sociology. I think my sociology teacher <laughs> showed it to us. <laughs> um, and I fell in love with the movie so much, mostly because he talked about the backstory behind it. 
And it's a movie that I realized watching it this time, I don't love it as much as I used to, but it's still in my like top 50 favorite movies. So there's that. Um, it's just very excellent written, acted, and it's just, it feels like summer when I watch it. And I think that's what I love most about it. Yeah. Um, so I just watched it for the first time for this podcast. And so, yeah. So when I hear about this movie in the past, I've heard about, you know, the Henry Fonda performance. And the thing that I that always came with that was the Jane Fonda campaign and how like they gave it to Henry just because he was old and he was going to die and so on and so forth. But like, he's really, really, really good. Like, I think he's awesome in this performance. And I don't think his, you know, out of everybody in that lineup, I think that Oscar is very much deserved for Henry Fonda. Um, and so, and Catherine Hepburn is obviously great as well, but that really stuck out to me in that I think, you know, this is a role that, you know, we do see classic Henry Fonda in it, but we also see something new, you know, something a lot more vulnerable and different than what I've seen from Henry Fonda before. It's almost like he, he obviously is old, so he fits into the character nice well, but he's also playing old too and kind of hyping that up a little bit. So, yeah, I've also heard about how sentimental this movie is and schmaltzy is a term I often see, and I didn't mind that at all. I mean, it definitely is, but I think that kind of has to be to work the way it does, um, especially in the relationship between Walter and um, Norman. And so, or not Walter, sorry. That's, that's the fish. Um, <laughs> their story. That too, that too, their relationship too. But, it's uh, very homoerotic. But no, um, the kid and Norman. Billy? Um, Billy, yeah. So, uh, <laughs> but no, especially in their relationship, I think we do kind of need that kind of sentimental attitude to see how that relationship reflects with his relationship with Jane Fonda and how that all comes together in the end. And so I really enjoyed it. It's one that I think, like Zay said, summer day, you could put it on, really nice watch. And um, yeah, really enjoyed it. Uh, this time around watching it, because this is like my umpteenth time, I loved it. And I don't know, I think it's just because I read the Jane Fonda memoir that she wrote like a decade or so past. And like, knowing the making of this and how personal it was for her and Henry and the fact that she became friends with Hepburn and Hepburn gave her some tips how to literally approach Henry, because Catherine was more or less like, he reminds me a lot of Spencer Tracy. And if you all know about their relationship, how close they were, and quiet, you know, very stoic. Um, but no, yeah, it's great. I love it. And I do like Henry Fonda in this a lot. I love Catherine Hepburn, of course. She's like my favorite actress of all time. Uh, Jane is really good. It's really interesting to think that they wanted to make this a total Fonda affair and have um, Peter Fonda in this, but the only other character would have been <laughs> Chelsea's, you know, fiance. So hey, they did that once before. <laughs> that one Italian horror film. <laughs> oh God! So oh my God, that one. Yes. <laughs> well, see, incest on golden <laughs> incest. Oh wow! I mean, he could also play the mailman who was her <laughs> ex-boyfriend. True. Out. But they, that was the, her ex-boyfriend, so it doesn't. Not as weird. Damn, this movie was personal to her. Yeah. Yeah. Um. No, great film, I think. And it's fun. The loons, the loons are welcoming us back. (laughs) 
Do you know how you think- honored I would be to have Catherine Hepburn call me an old poop like she called <laughs> me throughout this movie? Like, you old poop. Do you think Catherine Hepburn's Oscar was also the fact that they were like, oh, we don't know how much longer we have with her? And they were like... And she's like, and she's like, surprise, I'm going to live till 2003. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. Like, I wondered about that as well. I mean, cause... not to knock her, because her performance is like, I, it's one of my favorite performances because whenever she talks, I like the loons, Norman, the loons, or a green god. <laughs> and I'm just like, I love it. I love her inflections on all the lines. I do too, but I don't know. Like, I don't know if maybe they had the record in mind, like knowing that she would be the first to win for acting Oscars and how cool that would be. Or if it's that, you know, Diane Keaton had won recently for um, Annie Hall and Meryl Streep had won recently. And And so I don't know. One of those things where it's like, oh, it's definitely like a dichotomic, like, acting performance for on golden pond it's truly the big performances are between these two Mm -hmm. so wouldn't it be nice to give them both the oscar i know i think jane said something too about when she had presented Catherine with the oscar or like gave her congratulations Catherine was like you're not catching up to me (laughs) (laughs) because jane would if she would have won she would have won three they would have tied at this point but now Catherine has four after this Mm -hmm. That's true. Yeah, and obviously, Catherine and Henry Fonda, neither one were at the award ceremony. Because um, they were old. Oscars. Yeah. And Catherine didn't go to them anyway. Yeah, Catherine, that wasn't her thing. But um, Jane Fonda did accept on behalf of her father, oh, which was... God. <laughs> Christian, I think you have stories about this. So that's well, because I watched it right before we did this, and Jane gets up there, and she said, my father... He said if he ever were to get one of these, he wants his wife Shirley up here, but she wanted to stay with him, so I'm up here. Like, yeah, right, Jane. You know in your heart of hearts, you are always going to be up there, even if you push that damn Shirley off the stage. (laughs) And then she rambles for, I'm sorry, she rambles for like five and a half minutes. And she's like, I'm sure if my father was here, he would like to thank our wonderful crew and our cast. Uh, Who is it? Dabney Coleman, Catherine Hepburn, me. (laughs) <laughs> it's like we get it you're just saying your best supporting actor speech but making sure it's henry's <laughs> um wow. so i did read the play for this and what i found interesting that one i like the movie more than the play but i mean it's a play it's something you see to perform anyway mm-hmm. um there's a lot more monologues in the play like all the dialogue throughout this movie is just quick and fast there's like a couple of places where Norman is just giving like a whole page of monologue. And I'm like, I, he does not talk this long for this in this movie. <laughs> but the most interesting part is the, the play is in two acts and in between act one and act two is basically where Norman and Billy are like bonding. That's not in the play. Oh, it's, it's just implied. Cause you come back and they're like best buddies and like, Billy is like talking like Norman, but you don't get any of like the fishing and the stuff. I mean, which would be weird to do on a stage set. Sure. But it's interesting how they saw that and they were like, oh, we can do something with that empty space for the movie. Yeah. I'm glad they did. Same, because it really adds to the summer feeling was when they're on the boat. Right. Definitely. Pursuing Walter. I don't know. Yeah. Um, 
Christian, do you want to share the story that you've told me about the the scene in the boats that you hold so fondly? That I've told uh, fondly. <laughs> Thank you. Thank God you. Fondly. Uh, uh, yeah, okay. So, and Jane Fonda talks about this in literally every interview she does about this damn movie. But the scene in the boat between Henry Fonda's character, Norman, and Chelsea, when she's like, I just don't want you to be mad at me at all the times, yada, yada, yada. The second that she grabs his hand, that was not scripted at all. And you can see him react to it. He sort of grabs his hat and tilts it down. That is actually Henry Fonda sort of holding back, you know, what tears he probably would have shed because he did not know that she was going to grab his hand. And after that, they sort of make up in the movie, but that's them making up because they said, you know, they had their differences during the Vietnam era and all her controversy that she had. This is them sort of making up one last time because he, you know, she sort of knew he was getting older. Eventually, Henry Fonda would get sick, pass away the mm-hmm. next year. So. But that scene just hits hard, especially yeah. knowing the context of it. And it's that simple hand grab that it's like, that is so much damn emotion right there. Right. And I think that, like, because my sociology teacher told us this story that I really connected with this movie. And it was, like, one of the first time I was, like, oh, shit, like, storytelling. Like, and I can, like movies really are, like, something to tell, like, multiple stories with, like, beyond the mm-hmm. surface. And I think that was really a turning point for me, and which is why I keep this movie so dear to my heart even if I'm like now I'm like seeing like the different like things that I would have a problem with this movie if I did not have this turning point with it. Mm. I think I would like it regardless, but I do think the schmaltz does tend to hit a little too hard sometimes. The schmaltz, the schmaltz. Zay, do you want to go over everything it won and was nominated for and the fun facts here? The schmaltz, didn't they move out two years ago? (laughs) Um, anyway, so it won three act uh, uh, three Oscars, best actor for um, Henry Fonda, best actress for Katherine Hepburn, and best adapted screenplay, which is kind of wild because it takes most of the lines word for word. Mm-hmm. Um, nominated for seven more seven Oscars. Does this mean seven Oscars total or seven other Oscars? Seven other ones, yeah. Okay, seven other Oscars uh, for best picture. Best Director for Idell, Best Supporting Actress for James Fonda, Best Cinematography, Sound, Film Editing, and Original Score. Which, I kind of like the score more than The Chariots of Shit, but that'll, that's, we'll get onto that. Um, the box office, which is like uh, such a crazy fucking part of this movie, is it made $119.3 million, number two of the year in 1981. If that if this movie made that much money to in today's numbers, that would still be wild to me. Yeah, like I the fact that this was such a phenomenon is funny to me, but I I'm glad it is. It was the holiday movie too of 1981. That makes sense. Yeah, um, it was the first pairing of Henry Fonda and Hepburn, and and it was actually the first meeting of the two. Wow. Uh, Jane Fonda purchased the rights in the hope she could film film this with her father the scene okay and you you yeah you brought that up um fonda holds the longest gap between oscar nominations which the grapes of wrath was 41 years prior holy shit (laughs) hepburn has the largest gap of actors between her first and last oscar win with 48 years what was her first one 
Morning Glory. Morning glory. Um, snor- snoring Glory. Um, AFI is 100 Years, 100 Passions, number 22. One of the first times we brought up this list and it made sense. Yep. Scene. <laughs> Um, AFI's 100 Years, 100 Movie Quotes, number 88, to listen to me, mister, you're my knight in shining armor, don't you forget it, you're gonna get back on that horse, I'm gonna get right behind you, holding on tight, and away we're gonna go, go, go. I think the loons, Norman, the loons. (laughs) But, you know, that's a good one, too. AFI's 100 Years, 100 Cheers, number 45, and AFI's 100 Years of Film Scores, number 24. Very it's nice. An, it's an excellent movie. Yeah, and we'll talk about that Chariots of Fire score that beat it and some other great scores, like you mentioned. But yeah, good movie. It is a year of good scores. Damn. It is. All right. Christian, take it away. Dun, 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 dun. Okay, so our next film is Raiders of the Lost Ark, or as it's known today for some reason to keep it you know, Indiana Jones and the Raiders of the Lost Ark. No, false. (laughs) False. So it's Raiders of the Lost Ark, directed by my hero, Steven Spielberg. This is the story of, let's see, who is this about? Indiana Jones. (laughs) See, that's why you put in the title. We forgot. Indiana Jones, he is a professor, and he... Archaeologist. Oh my God. (laughs) He's an archaeologist slash professor on the DL. So one day they, I have to get this plot right. Okay. It says army intelligence. They come to him and they're like, yo, Indiana, there's like this thing called the Nazis and they're in Egypt and they're trying to search for the Ark of the Covenant. Could you maybe go look for that before they get to it? Because if they get their hands on it, we don't know what's inside and we don't know if Hitler is going to do shit with it because he most likely will. Indiana's like, grumble, grumble, grumble. Okay, where do I start? Well, let's go with my ex-girlfriend. So this is like an adventure film, y'all, if you didn't realize that at this point. He goes, he finds his ex-girlfriend, they go to Cairo after escaping the Nazis, and from there, they try to find the Staff of Ra, which will lead them to where the Ark of the Covenant may or may not be. And from there, just a bunch of running around trying to escape the Nazis, killing a bunch of Nazis, and trying to find the Ark of the Covenant, which is, gosh, oh my gosh, I should know this, Ark of the Covenant. It is, oh, it's what the Ten Commandments are stored in. Mm. Oh my God, wow. <laughs> anyway, so yeah, there's that. And I don't want to spoil it because I think everybody should see this movie. It is very easily accessible. It's on Netflix, my God. And if you haven't seen it by now, how dare you? Mm. But yes, so this is pretty much, uh, as I understand, Steven Spielberg's James Bond because he always wanted to make a James Bond movie. And then George Lucas comes around and he's like, you know what, Steven? I have all this money from Star Wars. Uh, I, this is my George Lucas impersonation. Not very good, but keep going. <laughs> you can't hear it. It's quiet. <laughs> I have all this money. So if you want to make this movie that I have in mind, we can. And Steve's <laughs> like, yeah, let's make it. So they make Indiana Jones. Again, based on more James Bond, based on some of the, what would you call it? Like 30 minute short films that George oh, Lucas gosh. grew up with before movies. Serials, mm-hmm. that's the word. Uh, but yes, it's very fun. It's very adventurous. It was the number one film of the year. It's sort of, as Spielberg said in interviews, he made this as a, and I have this down, he made this as a B movie, but it came out an A movie. 
since it's sort of a big Hollywood production, grew into three sequels, one upcoming sequel, which I don't know if you really need or not, but it's a whole franchise. It's a great film. I love it. It's exciting. It began Spielberg's 80s era, which is highs and lows, mm-hmm. but for me, mostly highs. But yes, and I'm sure you both have seen it before because we are American. <laughs> well, now I'm not so sure I want to keep going. Um, American. Um, see, as much as I like to be a contrarian, um, I couldn't deny that I do like this movie. I don't think I love it. I, I, it's definitely one of those movies where everyone talks about how great it is. And I'm like, hold up, hold up. It's good. Please stop shoving it down my throat. Um, but yeah, it's just, it's good energy. It has great energy. The pacing is very great. Like, it never really has a moment where I'm like, oh, come on, let's go, let's go. Like, it knows where to make it stops to, like, give us information and knows when to go and give us more action. Um, yeah, the whole cast is great. Harrison Ford, especially, when he still cared. <laughs> um, oh, and he still had that great chest hair. <laughs> Um, sorry, I got distracted. Um, <laughs> listen, young Harrison Ford is exactly my type. But those pictures of him as a carpenter. Um, but honestly, and I don't think that when you bring up this film, not enough people talk about um, Karen Allen's role in it because she is honestly amazing. And I don't think you know, because misogyny and whatnot, she's definitely not talked about enough as like having a very important part of the film, which I definitely forgot. She's just I, mostly seen more as like the damsel in distress. Which is dumb. Even though she kicks a lot of ass in Exactly. This. She does, yeah. Yeah, because I, the last, I think I was in high school when I first saw this, I never rewatched it. So it was a nice like comeback because I did forget that I liked this and I think I'm gonna watch all the sequels now since especially they're on Netflix. Yeah, so this is, I can't remember. It's either my number nine or number 10 movie of all time, personally. Wow. Yeah, so bold take. I think this is the best Spielberg movie. I think it's the best thing Lucasfilm has ever put out. And... <laughs> yeah. Both of our faces in <laughs> Absolutely, yeah, no, no shame about that whatsoever. Like Star Wars, they're all very good. Empire Strikes Back is like great, but Raiders of the Lost Ark is better than all of them, in my opinion. Um, I think it's I think it's hampered down a little bit because the sequels aren't as good. I mean, like Last Crusade is good. You know, I really like that one, but Temple of Doom is okay. Uh, Kingdom of the Crystal Skull gets really really weird, and so. <laughs> But Rares of the Lost Ark, like, it's as its own, standing on its own film, I think it's amazing. I think it's, like, the most endlessly entertaining movie I can think of, personally. Like, where every second I am completely entertained and very interested in what's going on. Even if it's not, like, an action scene or something. Like, even when they're just talking about the arc and, like, kind of debriefing about what they're, why they're going after it. Or the scene with the damn monkey and the date. Like... Every scene is, I'm glued to it. And so I think the image of Indiana Jones and like standing in his hat and like, you know, that image is so iconic 
um, as a film hero. And so I really always enjoy the aspect of it. And I always like thought about how this film situates itself in the eighties and like Reagan era return to like fears of communism and things like that. I actually wrote a paper on this in undergrad about how the lost Ark of the covenant represents nuclear power and nuclear bombs. And so like, yeah, they test on an island. They're always talking about how this is something that man should not have control over. Yeah. And so there's a lot of things like that where I think oftentimes the film is held up as just like an entertaining spectacle box office hit, but I think it can go a little bit deeper than that as well. And so that's part of the reason I love it. But yeah, Ford, Harrison Ford is 39 years old in this movie, which is like, really? kind of, yeah, 39 years old, which is kind of wild to me. Um, but yeah, and so I, I don't know, I love every scene and i don't know it's just a lot of fun and so and i think referring to it as people do as indiana jones and the raiders of the lost ark is almost as bad as referring to the original star wars as episode four a new hope so stupid but i digress i mean i guess it doesn't matter since we found out you don't like that movie that movie is a four and a half star movie because the dialogue (laughs) is a little wonky at times Raiders is a full five star. Yeah. I was thinking about it. I, I think Jurassic Park is my favorite Spielberg. With the close second being close encounters. And everybody knows what mine is. Um Munich. <laughs> <laughs> the BFG, but No. It's EP. Oh, I thought it was the terminal. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> I don't know. There's a lot of great Spielberg. Like Jaws is right up there for me. Saving Private Ryan, Schindler's List, obviously. The man has a ton of great movies. This is just the one that like I could put on any time and it's gonna entertain me for the entire runtime without fail whatsoever. So wait, doesn't Crystal Skull have like aliens in it? Yes. yes. That's what I thought. Yeah, it can't be a spoiler because I already know about it. So whatever. Yeah. I've never seen the movie. We don't we don't talk about the end of that movie. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so this won four Academy Awards, Best Art Direction, Sound, Film Editing, and Visual Effects. It was also honored with a Special Achievement Award for Best Sound Effects Editing because that wasn't an official award yet. It was nominated for four other things. Best Picture, Spielberg for Director, Cinematography, and of course, John Williams for his original score. It made a buttload of money, 248.2 million smackaroos. I mean, that's a lot for 81. Um, Despite Lucas and Spielberg attached, it was turned down by every major studio in Hollywood, which I'm not that surprised about, but yeah. I mean, this is the 80s. This is, it's like make or break, you know, for franchise movies, but they didn't know it was gonna be a franchise. This is um, before or after like 1941. Were they like skeptical that Spielberg was like the golden child? Yeah. Because that, that, that was like wild. very early on. So, um, shooting in the heat of Tunisia pro- proved so stressful to Spielberg that he managed to compress a six week shoot to four and a half weeks. And this is a mess, supposed to be a low budget film, like I said, sort of like a B picture. Um, let's see. 
unlike uh, Spielberg's previous troubles on films, this one had a schedule and within the budget. So it was not like a Jaws situation where the damn shark kept breaking down. And during this production, Spielberg met with Melissa Matheson, who was married to Harrison Ford at the time. And he was like, hey, Melissa, there's this movie I have in mind. How about you write it down? I'll tell you the story. It's about a little alien named E.T. <laughs> so that's how we got E.T. AFI's 100 Years, 100 Movies in 2007, number 66. Uh, 100 Years, 100 Thrills, number 10. And Indiana Jones is the number two hero of all time for AFI. Yeah, number one. We'll actually talk about in our next year. And so we'll get to that. That list is one of my favorites, I think. (laughs) Where was Moses again? Like 60 something? (laughs) (laughs) I haven't pulled up here. Moses was, yeah, I don't know. 43. Oh, this frees people. Indiana Jones. I mean, I guess saves the world. I'm sorry. (laughs) Remember, kids, this Easter. Thank you, Lord and Savior. Yeah. Is this Passover right now? Uh, Yeah. Remember, kids, who saved all the firstborn. Indiana Jones. <laughs> uh, no, we were talking about great film scores. Another one that I would say is better than Chariots of Fire is this one here. Although it is very similar to the Star Wars one, it's still really good. I mean, it's John Williams. All of those scores kind of sound similar. Yes. There is a point in this, and I'm pretty sure it's when Indiana and Marion are on the boat towards like the false ending of this movie, where it is Han and Leia's romantic theme music from the empire strikes back Mm. and i only caught it this time because i have seen empire strikes back in concert where the music is very very much emphasized so you know it and immediately i'm sitting there and i'm like wait a minute where have i heard this like john williams you love your french horn so much you're starting to blend together even in the 80s i've always found it wild how this film obviously they didn't have a pg-13 rating at this time but i've always found it kind of interesting how this is a pg rated film and at the end people literally like blow up and disintegrate in their bloodiness and so historically the second indiana jones film was what basically led to the pg-13 rating but i actually think the ending of this film is a little more severe than the heart pulling scene from that movie which is interesting I love that it's mostly like Spielberg, like directed or like produced films that kept push, pushing like Gremlins to as well. They were like, oh shit, these kids can't be seeing this shit. Stevie, got it. <laughs> it's interesting. But yes, Raiders of the Lost Ark, great movie. If you haven't seen it, please check it out. Awesome. So Christian, I believe you have our next film as well. Yes, I have our next film, which I'm still watching because it's like 20 hours long. (laughs) It is Warren Beatty's Reds. Let me get a plot synopsis because, again, there's a lot going on. So this movie is about, um, well, mostly it's about the relationship between Louise Bryant, who is a socialite in the early 1900s, and her meeting and soon romance with John Reed, uh, who was a journalist at the time. And she sort of falls for what he has to say, falls for him. And mostly it's about the creation of the American Communist Party 
and also John Reed and hers, Louise Bryant's viewpoint of the 10 days that shook the world, which is the Russian Revolution and the beginning of all that. Their relationship, their friendship between people such as, um, get the name right here, uh, Eugene O'Neill, played by Jack Nicholson, a playwright, Emma Goldman, Maureen Stapleton, who won her Oscar for this, um, Louis C. Farina, who was one of the members of the American Communist Party who sort of brought that up, played by Paul Servino, who I actually really liked in this movie. Um, but yeah, uh, again, it goes to the Rocky relationship. It goes through a lot of years too. That's the one thing I wish this movie would have done is put years in this thing. Mm. Cause I had no idea where this was going. Um, you have to look up a lot of this stuff. It, it very, I mean, it touches on the Russian revolution, but obviously you can't get so deep into it because you will bore American audiences at this time. And there's a whole part too near the end where Warren Beatty finds himself in Russia when no American should be there. And it follows his daring quote unquote escape while Louise Bryant, who's played by Diane Keaton, by the way, um, comes to find him. And he's sort of like, why haven't I heard from her? Well, buddy, she's out looking for you. And there's a great interaction between them on a train, which I really like. But yeah, it's a long movie. It's over three hours, but it's a good movie, surprisingly. This is my second time watching it, and I was not bored with it at all. It drags a little bit, but then when it gets to its quote-unquote I will say, quote unquote, action scenes, which are more or less the scenes where they're all talking to, you know, their congregation or the act one finale, which is a bunch of nice edited montages um, showing the actual revolution itself. It really gets going. And I really like Mm -hmm. that. Yes, this was more or less the odds on favorite to win for the night, but it was not meant to be, I suppose. Yeah, I... I like this film because it, to me, it feels like an epic that's not trying so hard to be an epic. Like it's just telling a simple human story about primarily about this, yes, this revolution, but also this romance between Diane Keaton and Warren Beatty. Um, And Warren Beatty is really good here. Um, Perhaps the best I've seen from him, except for maybe Bonnie and Clyde. And Diane Keaton is like, great here as well like i loved her in this movie um actually like i don't know if i might be like an outsider here but i really enjoyed the first half of the movie even more than the second i think where we're getting into like their relationship and her affair with jack nicholson's character and the editing there but it's really well directed because it doesn't ever feel terribly long i mean it does feel a little bit long but it doesn't feel terribly boring it's always quite interesting. I'm really interested in the characters, particularly. Um, and yeah, I enjoyed it definitely more than I thought I would. And so, yeah. I had not seen this movie before. <clears throat> and I had like heard about it, but I don't think I knew what it was until Christian was like, I'm excited to hear your thoughts on this movie because I consider you the most communist of my friends or something like that. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, there and then I subs I changed Christian's name to uh, Comrade Ramos in my phone <laughs> still that way um but I was kind of shocked I was like oh is this going to be a movie where they're going to be like communism is actually quite bad because it's 1981 that's why I was like oh no this is like a legit historical like narrative feature about communists and I'm like 
all right, I'm here for this journey. But then I found out it was three hours long and I was like, oh shit, here we go. But then I was like, oh no, this is great because it's not trying to be grand like so many other three hour films. It's very hooked on the emotional uh, story that like flows through those three hours. And it takes into account every character and makes sure that none of them are like floundering in the different part of the film where it's no longer their character arc. It's stable throughout the thing. And I think that's what surprised me the most. That and Jack Nicholson being in this, because I did not know Jack Nicholson was in this. <laughs> and he plays a pretty like like self-contained role in this compared to like the other roles he was doing around this time. Mm-hmm. Because I was thinking like Terms of Endearment two years down the road where he's very Jack Nicholson in that. So I thought that was really interesting. And I just really enjoyed it. I thought that it was well-paced, well-acted, well-written. If this was the winner this year, I would definitely not be upset with that. Unlike what did win, and I am upset by that. And Diane, like you brought up Diane Keaton, I... Because at this time, she's like one of the big stars of the 80s. And you get her in one of these films, and she's just absolutely incredible. And you remember why she's one of the greats. And then you see her like in a couple years. Because I did just watch, oh, what the fuck's it called? 80 Boom? Oh my God, that was so bad. And she's <laughs> wasted in that. And oh. she's just floundering to do something good. And I'm like, oh no. But just, then I remember her in Reds, and I was like, no, she's good. She's good. It's just the script. And that's when I'm, I don't know. Diane Keaton is just very good in this, as well as Warren Beatty, because I don't know if I've seen him in anything else other than this and Bonnie and Clyde. Interesting. So, yeah, but he's great. I didn't remember he was great, and then I watched this, and I was like, oh, oh, this is good. Yeah. I sure did not watch that movie he was trying to get for an Oscar a couple years ago. (laughs) Yeah, I didn't either. Whatever that was. But no, Christian, you mentioned the the scene on the train, and that is like that scene is awesome because there it kind of builds up tension. You really do want to see their love rekindled in a way, and that's just a really well directed scene. Like I, even if he wouldn't have been my personal winner, that's part of the reason I have no issue whatsoever with Warren Beatty winning Best Director for this. Mm-hmm. Um, I think he did a really good job. The thing I'm not quite sure how i feel about yet is the intercuts of like the people talking about like who are from that time they're like yeah the witnesses who are talking about like their experiences and how they knew all the people i think it's interesting to kind of get those perspectives but i don't know i still don't know how i feel about that my thing with that is again i wish they would have put years on some of the like images of this so i knew where and i wish they would have put names on the witnesses yeah same actually go to the wikipedia page of this movie and it lists all the witnesses and why they are there and why they're important i mean i kind of want to know like they could have put oh this person was in charge of workers unions between this era and this era like that would have been fine because i've been like okay this is why they're talking about specifically louise and john reed's relationship this is why this person is talking about how this person influenced the Communist Party of America. Like, there's no, I mean, I don't know if people in 81 knew who these people were exactly, but mm-hmm. 2020, 
I don't know who any of these people are. No, they they didn't because um, this is why I should have my notes up because I completely forgot about that aspect until Brett's just said it, um, which I actually really enjoyed it. I love like a cross genre sort of thing, getting narrative and documentary. Mm-hmm. Um, but I agree that not having their names and not telling us who they were, I don't know. I, I was just trying to guess. I was like, okay, they obviously know what they're talking about, but what, what how do they know? And apparently they didn't give the name. They were just called witnesses and like the credits or whatever. And it was like Time Magazine in 1982 gave the names and like what they did. Interesting. And so I'm just like sitting here like why didn't, if they're just going to be named later on anyway. So why, what was the point of not naming them? Right. Because I was also like, are these people also being portrayed by actors in the movie? Like, are these characters in the movie and we don't know it? Because obviously they were there. And so, yeah, I agree. I think if they had included names, it would have made it a lot easier um, and even better than it is. So, But, and like you said, say, I'm, I'm kind of surprised at how successful this was giving, you know, Reagan just being elected and it's you know, it's sympathetic to communist characters and whatnot. But yeah, I really enjoyed that aspect of it. So, I mean, it wasn't totally successful. Warren Beatty was like, it made a little bit of money because it was like a thirty million, but thirty-two million budget. It made forty million, which makes sense. I it was probably going for like the nineteen sixties grandiose, like epic money, and then. Everyone was like, I'm not going to go watch a movie with communists. Sure, it. yeah. Financially successful, maybe not so much, but like being the top nominations getter, yeah. being like the odds on favorite to win. And maybe that's why it didn't win. I don't know. I, I guarantee that's why it didn't win. So, but Christian, do you want to say what it won and all that stuff? Indeed. So it won three Academy Awards, including Best Director for Beatty. Best Supporting Actress Maureen Stapleton as Emma Goldman in like a performance that is forgettable because she disappears for a good chunk of this. Yeah. Uh, cinematography. And it was nominated for an additional nine Academy Awards. Best Picture, Best Actor for Beatty, Best Actress for Diane Keaton. So um, original screenplay. And I will say that along with On Golden Pond and Atlantic City, this is one of 43 movies to get those key five nominations. So three in one year, which is impressive. Also, Best Supporting Actor for Jack Nicholson. I said screenplay, art direction, costume design, sound, and film editing. This racked in about 40 million. Um, Reportedly, Beatty reshot some scenes up to 35 times, much to the dismay of the cast and crew, especially Jack Nicholson. Like, what the fuck do you want from us? (laughs) I could see Warren Beatty being like that. Um, Warren Beatty became the third person nominated for actor, director, and original screenplay after Orson Welles and Citizen Kane and the now dead Woody Allen for Annie Hall. (laughs) But Orson Welles very much alive. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Especially at the Oscars watching the opening monologue, Johnny Carson's like, it's only the second time this has happened. And I'm like, uh, check your facts, Johnny. Um, Beatty began the witness interviews as early as the 70s. Some had died during the production of this movie. Oh my God. Yeah. So he had this all planned out to make a movie about John Reed in like 69. So Hmm. this is one of the last Hollywood productions with an intermission. I think the last one that I've read was Hamlet in 96. Over 130 hours of footage was shot because this is a over three hour movie. Beatty and Keaton were most likely in a relationship and it dissolved during the making of this movie. And Ronald Reagan 
bless his soul in hell, was a huge admirer of this film, despite it not having a happy ending. <laughs> wow. Yeah, I like that movie, but the ending, it was sad. Um, I mean, it's no, um, fuck, what was his favorite friendly, movie? Friendly Persuasion. Friendly Persuasion. <laughs> God, could you imagine if you saw La La Land? Nancy, they tricked me. <laughs> I mean, AFI's 100 Years 100 Passions at number five. And this is AFI's number nine top ten list on their epic films. Pretty sure the Ten Commandments, which was our last episode, was number ten. Yeah. Yes. So this That's is interesting. Number nine. Nice. Yeah, it's also significant that the it had the four acting categories nominated for which was i think the last time until 2012 with yeah. silver lang's playbook so i forgot about that yeah i only knew that because like that was like the big narrative when they got all those noms for silver lines they're like oh it's the first time since reds and i'm like okay cool. but yeah reds good movie um was the best picture favorite but was not the winner which is what we have next are we just transitioning and the winner is chariots of fire fire yes chariots of fire directed by hugh hudson let me just preface preface this okay I'll watch the Chariots of Fire winning Best Picture on YouTube. You will hear the collective gasp from the audience. Okay? My fit. I love uh, Loretta Young just like looking at it twice like, oh, are we sure? <laughs> he literally gives us the Julia Roberts Green Book face. Like this was a shock. Okay, take it away. Yes, it was a shock. Um, so it is the story of two... British track athletes um, who are looking to race at the 1924 Olympics. Um, and so they're both sprinters. So it's not really a long distance type thing. They're very fast. Um, and one of them goes to Cambridge and he's part of a team there. All of his friends make it to the Olympics and the other kind of like does his own thing. He's actually from Scotland. And so the thing behind the film is that they're both doing this for very different reasons the reasons they run and the reason they want to go to the olympics one of them is a jew who is not who faces anti-semitism from his institution from everybody in his everyday life um and so he wants to show what he can do and the other is actually a devout christian who is supposed to be going on a mission but sees running as like his duty to god or something like that i don't know um <laughs> Yeah, part of the central conflict for him is that the race, his big race takes place on the day of the Sabbath. And so he refuses to race that day. And there's a conflict that arises because of that. But the film, I think, I, obviously I enjoyed it more than you two did. I really enjoyed the technical aspects. I thought it was well shot. I thought it was down to earth. And while I don't necessarily gets the plot of the Christian character. I really like the plot of the Jewish character and what he's kind of doing with the trainer and stuff like that. But it is kind of a difficult film because 
I think sometimes a lot of people watch and say, what's the big deal here? What's the big conflicts? Um, it's not like your typical inspirational sports film where there's a huge underdog and something like that. Um, it is very British, takes place in the 1920s. And so take that as you will. And yeah, take it away. I'll start. Um, so this movie's legacy, the only thing I can tell is the great scene in How the Grinch Stole Christmas when the Grinch is in the sack race and they play the theme music. Yep. That's the only thing I think about when watching this movie that I've now seen twice. I want y'all to know how much I love you and this podcast because I see so much shit for a second time. <laughs> and I think I got more mad watching this than I did around the world in 80 days. Because I'm just sitting here like, what the fuck? They are just running in slow motion. Is this why it won? Because they're running in slow motion? And I like, and I understand the whole faith-based um, narrative behind this, but at the same time, I'm just sitting here thinking like, but you're just running. Yeah, You're running. I, I don't see anything artistic about running. I don't see anything magnificent about running. And I'm sure we're losing our running audience. <laughs> I'm losing, but I just don't get it. I don't. I like if you're gonna watch like the red the red shoes, she dances because that's what she loves. That's that's the kind of narrative I feel like this is going for. But it's not there in this movie. I refuse to see it. I refuse to see what the fuck these voters were seeing in this movie. I don't like this movie. I actively do not like this movie. I, I can't believe how heated up I am about Chariot the Fire. But now the fact that I've spent three and a half hours of my life watching Chariots of Fire, no. No, ma'am. Chariots of Fire. And I guarantee you, if you brought up Chariots of Fire, like if you brought up a list of all of the films that won Best Picture from 1980 to today, Chariots of Fire would be the one where nobody knows what the fuck that is. Interesting. That's all the time we have, folks. <laughs> <laughs> I said everything. <laughs> um, yeah, this is my also second time watching it, but the first time I don't remember it, and I don't remember this movie at all. I couldn't <laughs> tell you the characters' names, even though they're not characters. These are real people. The central conflict, I'm pretty sure there's one, but the only one I can ever remember is that he cannot run on the Sabbath. It's easily fixed, and then there's like another 40 minutes of the movie left. <laughs> Um, Ian Holm is in this somewhere. Ian Holm being like Bilbo Baggins from the Lord of the Rings series. I think he's good in this, but that's just me. He also never ages because he looks the same damn age in this as he does in Lord of the Rings. Um, the actual running scene with the famous theme is good. It is shot very well, I will say. I'm all for it. Uh, the ending is like the same thing. Other than that, uh, my hot take on this is that this is one of the worst mistakes that they have ever done. Because you have such films as Raiders, Reds, and I will even go as far to say on Golden Pond, where any three of those I'd be fine with Best Picture. And then you have this, the least, I think even Atlantic City is better than this. This is like the least memorable to me. I don't remember, like I said, I don't remember shit thing about this, except they're running for whatever reason. In slow motion. They don't even run in real time. Running for the Olympics. But I'm not entertained by it at all. There's not a point where I'm like, yeah, okay. I turned away once and I lost track of who, what character was which. 
which was the Christian character and which one was the Jewish character because they both looked alike to me. Mm. So that's my hot take. One of the worst wins ever. Behind Green Book and Crash. I don't know. I My bull take is that I think the score might be one of the worst aspects of this movie. Ooh. It's a weird score. It's a weird, it does not fit whatsoever. It is an 80s score in a movie that takes place in the 1920s. It does not fit whatsoever. It and fits the theme so song. so much better in The Grinch. <laughs> it does. No, it does. Like, that's why, like, I love that scene on the beach. I agree, Christian. Very well shot. Really good scene. But the score, all I can think about is how the score has been parodied in The Grinch. And I know I've seen it somewhere else, too. Like, this score is, like, perfect for a parody. Everywhere, this score. Yeah, and so I don't, I, I don't think the, I don't know, like that's that win that it got for best original score over Raiders and on Golden Pond is just awful to me because it just does not. I think part of rewarding a good score involves how it fits in the movie, and it doesn't fit whatsoever. I like, think it's because the score, like the, the the main song, wasn't it like a hit song? I I imagine so. I think that's why it probably won is everybody knows that song, but I know. I, I mean, I knew the song when I was younger, partially because of the Grinch and like, for some reason I knew what chariots of fire was, but I don't know. But yeah. I score not a fan. I don't know. I just, I, I thought before I watched that it would have won because it was inspiring, but I didn't find it terribly inspiring, which was, what kind of conflicted for me, but I did, I don't know. I didn't, I found the characters fairly easy to track, but mostly because I was interested in the Jewish character much more than the Christian character. And so it became much more easy for me to pay attention to when his scenes came up, whereas I was less interested in the other scenes. So I also love the scene where they do the race around the block and whatnot. That's probably the most exciting thing of the whole movie. And it's not in slow motion for once. So, but yeah. And it the the soundtrack album went to number one on the Billboard 200 for four weeks, and it stayed for 97 weeks on the chart. Jeez! And it sold three million copies in the first year alone. It is such a weird score because it's that synthesizer music. I mean, that was such a thing in the 80s. It's like, hey, okay, guess what? The 80s it's just going to be this synthesizer music. Thank you, Chariots of Fire. And again, like you said, Brett, 1920s plots with this 80s music is something. Yeah, it's yeah. weird. Also, the fact that this was a play at one point in 2012. <laughs> what? <laughs> they just running around. <laughs> so from what like, I could gather from seeing pictures and videos, they had a, um, like a turntable on the stage and they would just like run with it. Stop. No. <laughs> yeah. Oh, my God. No, they should have reversed it. They should have had something just moving in the middle and made them look like they were running. <laughs> what a boring ass play to see. Oh. Like, could you imagine seeing that? Oh, now I want a Chariots of Fire musical. <laughs> <laughs> but, Pasta, I cannot run on Sundays. Bam, 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 bam. Oh my. And the play includes the famous iconic Vangeli score. Oh my god. 
But yes, this did win Best Picture, obviously. It won three more Oscars for original screenplay, costume design, and original score. None of which I would agree with, per se. Um, nominated for three other Oscars. What's that? Costume design. So boring. Wow. Uh, yeah, Best Director for Hugh Hudson, Supporting Actor for Ian Holm, and Best Film Editing. Raked in $59 million at the box office. Interesting fun fact here that Roger Ebert asked other American critics at Cannes to award this the American Critics Prize since French press criticized the film over its view of French people. Okay, <laughs> Roger. Okay. Um, <laughs> first non-American movie since Oliver to win Best Picture. Of course, both are British. Uh, the film's Best Picture Oscar is displayed at the National Science and Media Museum in Bradford, England. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and they had trouble obtaining Edwardian costumes because Reds was running over schedule. Yeah, so like that one I read because it's like in the same time frame, Reds was running over their schedule. So like costumes for extras and stuff, they needed Chariots of Fire, but Reds was like, well, we're still using these, so you got to wait. Mm. And then look what wins best costume design. <laughs> wow. AFI's 100 Years, 100 Cheers, coming in at number 100. It doesn't even count at that point. <laughs> I wonder if they were like, we have to include it at one best picture. Let's just put it at the bottom. I don't know. I thought that list was supposed to be for American movies. <laughs> True. Interesting. Whatever. I- I mean, Lawrence of Arabia is on their top 100 films, so they just do whatever they want. The okay. fact that the only sports movies to win Best Picture, I'm pretty sure there's three. Two are boxing, and one is running. Yeah. Yeah. Like Rocky and... Million Dollar Baby. Million Dollar Baby, yeah. Yep. And this. Interesting. If, if Brad had his way in Space Jam with one back in 1994. <laughs> absolutely no um i mean better than forrest gump oh bold I take was, i think it was 96 i think so too oh <laughs> yeah space jam was 96 that yeah. doesn't make sense brett versus english patient <laughs> no english patients much better than space jam interesting we shall see space jam shitty also my top what- take what do you like? <laughs> Sorry, <Brad>. Ouch. <laughs> I was going to say, what do you like better as a title? Chariots of Fire or the original title, Runners? Runners makes it sound like a sci-fi movie. I know. I was, what's that one with Justin Timberlake? Runner, Runner. Runner. <laughs> um, oh, my God. I mean, they're both pretty bad. Yeah, those are both awful. What does Chariots of Fire even mean? It's like a Bible verse. Yeah. But for running, people, I guess people used to like run with chariots, didn't they? Well, that's still a chariot. I think you have to think chariot like it's a fat, it's a race. I guess. Yeah. Yeah. This is a bad movie. I never want to watch it again. <laughs> uh, well, that's a good segue. We'll see just how bad it is. As we have talked about all five nominees, including our Best Picture winner. And so we can now jump into our rankings of these five nominees. Oh, jeez. <laughs> and so, Zay, I'm going to go to you first. You can start with your number five and all the way up to your number one. I mean, I have to call it number five because there's only five. But truly, I would say it's like number 96. 
Um, <laughs> I'm pretty sure it's like the bottom three of the year. And I saw some shitty movies from 1981. Anyway, number five, Chariots of Shit. Number four, Atlantic City. Number three, Raiders of the Lost Ark. Two, Reds. Number one, on Golden Pond. See, I could accept on Golden Pond even winning. You know, it had the yeah, sure. actors and screenplay going for it. That's fair. Uh, so for me, I had number five, Chariots of Fire, Atlantic City. Yeah, I don't know. I don't like Atlantic City that much. but And then everything else up top here. So Reds at number three on Golden Pond, number two. And of course, the Raiders of the Lost Ark at number one. All right. My number five is Atlantic City. My number four is Chariots of Fire. Number three, Reds. Number two, On Golden Pond. And number one, once again, Raiders of the Lost Ark. Can't be too upset. It won a lot of money, and I don't think it ever really stood much chance of winning. So I think with our averages, On Golden Pond would be our winner. Probably so. It's in the top two for all three of us. So sounds right. Otherwise, we all agree that the Academy did not get it right this year with Chariots sure of Fire. <laughs> yeah, so um, that covers up the Oscars of this year, at least the Best Picture race. Make sure to tune in because next we will have our year in review for 1981. We'll cover six more films um, that perhaps should have been in the Best Picture race. So be sure to tune in for that. Again, thanks for listening. Um, you can always, as always, find us on Apple iTunes or wherever you listen, be sure to rate, review, subscribe. You can find us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Letterboxd, GuildedFilms.com. Thanks again to Joshua Arnoldi for doing our score. And thanks again to you both for joining us. Zay, any final thoughts from you? Um, stay tuned for our next episode where I'm going to do something incredibly stupid but fun. Wow. Okay. Christian, how about you? Uh... It's my birthday. <laughs> Happy birthday. Happy birthday. Stay tuned for our next episode.